0: Rewind of the Living Dead is brought to you by Germ Death Hand Sanitizer, the only hand sanitizer with 66.6% ethyl alcohol, kills 99.9% of germs, and it smells really good doing it. Uh, my favorite is black leather, of course. Um, there are plenty of other delicious flavors you can smell and try out over at germdeath.com. Be sure to visit them on Facebook and Instagram, also at GermDeath. Rewind of the Living Dead is also brought to you by reanimatedrecords.com, your only place for vinyl, DVDs, VHS, cool t-shirts, cool posters, cool stuff. Reanimatedrecords.com has it, if I can remember the website. And so be sure to check them out for us because they are the kind of people that uh, dig a show like Rewind of the Living Dead, so you're going to dig them too. Fair warning, Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead. The sequel is a staple of the horror genre, but few films have produced
1: as many replicas in such a short amount of time in recent years as the Saw series. With the original movie released in 2004, the Saw franchise had a new film released each year up until 2010 when Saw 3D was teased as the final movie in the series. Then, seven years later, a new film was commissioned called Jigsaw that restarted the franchise yet again, although with less than favorable reviews, but still proving to be a force at the box office while grossing more than $100 million on a budget of just around $10 million. But Saw went dormant again after that, until comedian Chris Rock showed interest in reviving the franchise after revealing he was a huge fan of the series. A chance meeting with a Lionsgate executive led to Rock pitching them on an idea he had for reinventing the series, while he also hoped to branch out from his comedy roots and do something a little more terrifying. Darren Lynn Bozeman was brought on to direct the film after he previously helmed Saw 2, Saw 3, and Saw 4. Rock was joined by legendary actor Samuel L. Jackson while playing a father and son cop duo who are soon investigating a horrific murder that echoes those of long-since-dead jigsaw killer John Kramer. It doesn't take long for them to discover somebody wants to play a game. In the latest episode of Rewind of the Living Dead, we're going to press play on the recorder and start our investigation as we review Spiral from the Book of Saul. Living Dead. I am Damon Martin. And I'm Patrick Guerra. And Patrick, tonight, guess what we're doing? We're reviewing a new movie
0: that Ooh, we saw in we... theaters. Oh, I saw it in a movie theater, Damon. Did you see it in a movie theater? Of course I you did. I
1: saw it in a movie theater. It was so exciting. So exciting.
0: <laughs> Damon and I are both fully vaccinated, and it was uh, it was a great comfort to be able to go to a movie theater mine was at about 50 percent capacity and i was at a big imax theater so that's actually a pretty decent sized amount of people uh to be able to sit down with a large group of people and enjoy a movie together was such a fun fun experience that i deeply sorely missed yeah there's a lot of things i missed
1: during the pandemic i i go to a lot of concerts i enjoy you know, obviously the last two year well last year and this year there's been no San Diego Comic-Con which you and I obviously always hang out at San Diego Comic-Con yeah. uh that's you know outside of Twitter that's where we met uh, it was San Diego Comic-Con uh right. so that obviously I missed that of course too but movies are the are the one constant staple in my life that I've missed the most you know like I used to go to the movies twice a month usually and, and even in the like the down period like during the winter from like January to March when not much came out I would still end up seeing like at least one and then during the summer when there's like Marvel movies and other stuff out I mean I would be at the movies every week sometimes you know so uh, and sometimes twice a week depending on what was coming out so I lo- I'm i a cinephile I'm, I'm, a, I'm a confessed Quentin Tarantino cinephile I love going to the movies so out of everything that the pandemic took away from us in terms of things we could not do the movies were probably at the top of my list. So to go back, sit in a theater, have some popcorn, watch the trailers, and then watch a movie on the big screen, man. It was just, it was amazing. And like I said, it was funny. The last one I saw before the pandemic was Invisible Man, which we, of course, reviewed on the show previously. And that was a horror film. The first one back, ironically enough, was a horror film, Spiral from the Book of Saul.
0: Nice. Yeah, no, I'm exactly right there with you. I think the thing I missed the most was going to movie theaters i averaged about twice a week i actually went to uh, i got the uh, amc a-list pass because uh I'm, i was there so often it'd be crazy not to i think it's like 24 bucks a month or something i would have been spending way more than that a month on movie tickets uh, otherwise and so i'm probably going to re-enlist that because is a pretty pretty busy uh summer schedule for the theaters and, and I'm just the kind of guy I'd go see every movie anyway. Um, but it was cool to get back in and watch a horror movie with a group. Because I'll tell you this, you know, it's great to actually sit alone at my house and watch a horror movie in the dark. That actually works out really well. But there is a there is a difference when you sit in a movie theater with a group of people while something scary is happening. There's a group vibe going on there. Did you pick up on that with Spiral? I did. I did. There was
1: definitely some of that. And, and I've, you know, listen, I... Uh, there are times when I go to the movies where the the crowd experience is a big part of it. I mean, I remember going to see... You know, both Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame in the theater and during those big beat moments of that movie when the crowd erupts and cheers and goes nuts or they kind of hush silence when something bad happens. There's a real like that really does add an emotional element to going to see movies and horror movies are kind of at the top of the list of that because I remember when I saw Paranormal Activity in the theater and that was you know that movie had gotten so much buzz and all the trailers were you saw audience reactions from when they did the screeners for that movie and you saw people just gasping and freaking out so I was like legit excited to see that in the theater to see the crowd reactions and it it paid off man that the crowd reactions worked with that movie so Going back in there and seeing Spiral and seeing the reaction, hearing a couple of gasps in there and hearing a couple ooze and you know, things like that yeah. in the movie, it was fun. It was just fun to hear that again uh, because, again, it does weirdly add an extra layer of emotion and element to a movie when you're actually
0: experiencing it with a group of people. And, you know, speaking on Spiral specifically, now it's a Chris Rock vehicle, right? He's the star of the movie. He plays this uh, this detective And, uh, something about the group, the group vibe that was apparent from, from the jump was that this was almost like a, it starts out kind of like a buddy cop movie. Were you getting like those, uh, like, like 48 hours, Beverly Hills cop vibes, like kind of like, it was funny. Like a lot of people were laughing, uh, because Chris Rock obviously is one of the best comedians who's ever lived. He really is truly one of the best wits of all time. And so like you're sitting in the theater and everybody's like busting a gut for like that first half hour, because although he's a tortured kind of detective, who's rather pissed off and, and very much a pariah within his uh, department. um, He's still funny as hell. So there was like a ton of laughs. There was. And I, I had read when, when he, when he originally
1: pitched this idea as a horror film, he also pitched it as like adding a couple other layers to it, which part of it was comedy, his comedy. And, and it was great. I mean, that, that actually worked really well because in those moments when you can have those kind of funny moments of levity, it is nice because when you're dealing with such you know horrific material, um, it, it does kind of lighten the mood a little bit. And There were a couple of jokes in there that I legit laughed at, like out loud in the movie. So I was
0: laughing. Yeah,
1: there was definitely some great moments of that, and uh, it was nice. It was you know Chris Rock is is such a talented dude. I mean, there's there's a couple of his. Comedy albums, I could pretty much quote from you from start to finish. I've listened to them <laughs> so many times. So I'm a big Chris Rock fan. And initially, when I heard he wanted to do this, I was like, you know what? That's really cool. Like, it's really cool that a guy like Chris Rock, as famous as he is, is. Obviously, as wealthy as he is, he doesn't need to do a saw movie. He did it because he loved it. Now, I I love I I so love that uh, because it just speaks to the passion people have for these kind of movies. And again, maybe it's not always horror, but uh, obviously, I love when it is horror. And then you get a guy like Samuel Jackson as a co-star. And listen, I am the biggest samuel jackson fan i mean that dude is phenomenal He's uh, amazing. I, I mean i just love him and everything he does and to get him to come in there and and again a big part of of doing spiral you know was you know they talk about reinventing the franchise kind of restarting the franchise after it kind of outside of jigsaw as i mentioned in the intro outside of that in 2017 there really hadn't been a saw movie Beyond that since 2010, and so to kind of reinvigorate it with this bit of comedy, and listen, I'm not insulting anyone who was in any of the prior Saw movies, but we gotta be honest when we say they weren't exactly booking A-list, you know, Academy Award-winning talent... And here you have Samuel L. Jackson, Chris Rock, legit. You know, Matt, Ma- Max Mignola, who plays the uh, one of the other co-leads, I mean, he's in The Handmaid's Tale, which is obviously a you know multi-time Emmy-winning show. Uh, you know, you get Marisol Nichols, who is fantastic. She did Riverdale just recently. Uh, so, I mean, they actually got in, like, a pretty legit cast, which was nice. And, again, I'm not saying that any of the other movies had a terrible cast. And, and you and I have talked about sometimes we have seen – Acting being elevated in a in a in a great horror film, but we've also said just like we did the rental, I always go back to the rental. You can make a cheap horror film when you just happen to you know be able to call on friends like Dan Stevens and Allison and freaking yeah. Brie.
0: You raise the you raise the bar, and and they did that with Spiral. They absolutely did. I mean, I think that was the thing that caught my attention from the jump with the uh, with the trailer when the trailer came out. You know, I'm watching this. It's like, oh, this is like some sort of gritty cop movie with Chris Rock and Sam Jackson's in it. Max is in it. I was like, that's pretty cool. And then it, it's I like as the trailer's going, I was like, wait a minute. This is like a horror movie. Wait a minute. This is a Saw movie. <laughs> like, holy shit. Like, like all these layers on top of it. Um, And it was like, this is a recipe for must-see Cinema. Like I gotta go see what this is all about. It's a really smart move on the part of the uh the production company and the studio to go, yeah, actually we should, we should let Chris, you know, Chris Rock's got an idea for this. Let's let's bring him in. Let's let's make it happen. And um uh, you know, I do feel this way though. I feel a little bit uh misled. So I now but it's partially my fault, and I'll explain. Uh, when I, when I first heard about this movie when it was announced in the trades a while back I assumed this was a Chris Rock starer written by and I thought I even thought maybe at the time directed by I that seemed to be the the the, the pitch that was going out into the trades like oh you know it's, this is Chris Rock's idea you know he, he's seeing what uh, what guys like Jordan Peele and uh, and David Gordon green and Danny McBride are doing with horror films and he's a big fan of saw and he's got an idea for it too and I was like oh cool and then when the movie's over and I'm looking at the credits, because, again, I don't, I don't do any research ahead of time because I want to go in as cold as I can. I realize like, he just is the star. He is an executive producer because he pitched them the idea, but he doesn't even get a story credit necessarily. So I was like, well, I thought this was going to be a Chris Rock thing. And what I ended up watching, Damon, was another Saw movie. Yeah, and that, you
1: know, and listen, I mean, it really did boil down to that at the end of the day, without spoiling anything, we will get into spoilers later in the show, so, you know, if you're listening now, obviously this movie's brand, brand new, so we're not going to spoil anything, so no spoilers right now, but it really did end up feeling like another installment of the Saw franchise. Now, that being said, if you are a fan of the Saw franchise and you enjoyed the other movies and maybe you said, well, I, I missed, you know... When it was really good, you know, part two and part three and maybe part four, uh, you know, I miss those. And and I want to get back to that, to where those films were before it got really ridiculous. Uh, you know, I want to get back to that. Then you're probably going to be happy because this is very much that kind of film. And I I mentioned, we reviewed Saw, the original Saw on the show. And I mentioned Saw 2 is actually one of my favorites, uh, and probably, probably outside the first one, you know. I mean, I've seen most of the Saw movies. I'm not going to sit there and lie to you and say I've seen all of them, but I know I've seen the first, you know, three or four, and then obviously this one. Uh, and I would say that you know the the first couple are strong. First one we, we reviewed great. Third, second one I re- there was a twist in that one that I really really enjoyed, uh, and I loved that movie. The third one was okay as well. Um, but if you're a fan of Saul, you're going to enjoy this movie. Let me just put that out there right now. It very much fits into that franchise. Uh, and, and if you are a Saw fan, you're going to continue to be a Saw fan and you're not going to be disappointed by that. That being said, I am not a massive Saw franchise fan. Not to say I don't enjoy some of the movies. As I just said, I really enjoy the first one, really enjoy the second one. Beyond that, you know, kind of casual, uh, But I I don't know. I just expected something different. I expected them to reinvent the wheel a little bit, you know, to kind of change things up a little bit, kind of, as you always say on this show, and I love it when you say it, and I'm stealing it from you, subvert my expectations. Mm -hmm. Uh, There there was none of that. And and, and it's not to say that it's bad, because it's not bad. It's a Saw movie. I mean, again... um, if you're a Saw fan and you're going in to see a Saw movie, this is a Saw movie. I mean, that, that, I mean that's not bad. I mean, and again, I'm not saying it's a bad film in that way, but it's just
0: it's a Saw movie. That's what it is. And I guess I just expected more. You know what it was. And again, this is the part where I blame myself because I didn't do any research ahead of time. And if I'd have started researching, I wouldn't have been caught off guard so hard. Because what I expected from that announcement that Chris Rock was doing a Saw film off a pitch that he gave to the studio. I was expecting um, something along the lines of a get out or something along the lines of the new Halloween um, where comedians come in and take over a horror franchise and and or, or horror create a horror film. and it's it's literally every time I've been completely bowled over by how inventive and different they are, even though Halloween is Halloween, it's like it's still Halloween. But the way it was the the way it was done was was so exciting and new and fresh and everything about it just what, jumped off the screen at me, um, and so I was expecting that with Chris Rock's film, not knowing that he d- ended up not having any sort of uh, strong influence on the script uh, aside from probably his his original pitch. Uh, uh, Josh Stolberg and uh, and Peter Goldfinger wrote the script. Uh, he um, Chris Rock doesn't have a hand in it. Chris Rock didn't have a hand in directing. I did read a little bit afterwards that Darren Lynn Bozeman, the director, said that uh, Chris Rock was sort of his backup. Whenever the the producers would kind of push back, uh, Chris Rock would step in and go, no, this is what we're going for, and this is what So he 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 was there acting as a producer in that respect. I was just expecting a reinvention. I really was. I was like, oh, we're gonna see something totally new. And the first 30 minutes of this film, Damon, we talked a little bit about it off air, has the air of a 1980s cop movie. Now, something that's really cool about the 80s, very, very cool about the 80s, is the androgyny of genres at the time. You could have a cop movie that was very funny, very violent, and even a little horrific. Like, you could have all of those things happen in that movie. In this first 30 minutes, of this movie feels very much like that. Like, Chris Rock is sort of, and I don't wanna say he's copying Eddie Murphy because he's not, but there's a channeling of that Axel Foley kind of character who's like a smart ass, who's smarter than everybody in the room and and uh, and, and knows what's up and is better than – and there's a lot of dirty cops. That's kind of thematically what's going on here, a lot of dirty cops. He turned in a cop uh, in, in, uh, in the past and uh and all the rest of the cops in the department hate him because of it you know they just he, he turned on the cops so it's there's it's interesting and timely in that respect so that first 30 minutes i'm like okay this is different i see what's going on here but once the jigsaw murders start to get a rolling i got in. i, I was like oh this is every saw movie i've ever seen Yeah. and that and to some people that's like cool yeah i didn't really want that much of a reinvention and I'm like, oh, I was actually really looking forward to that. So it is my fault for having such high expectations for something radically different. When, when the ball got rolling, what I got was very much a traditional Saw film. Yeah, they started, the film starts really strong. And again,
1: no spoilers. The film starts really strong. As we mentioned, the first 30 minutes are really good. It sets the stage for what you think is going to be a a really, really solid movie. And then after that, it's not bad. Uh, It's not that I'm sitting there saying it's a terrible movie. It just, it becomes a saw movie. And and again, if you're a Saw fan, you're going to love that. But I just I thought it was going to be something different. I you know when they I admit like when you talk about like that eighties buddy cop movie like one thing that has changed so dramatically with Hollywood and with audiences and with with studios over the last you know twenty thirty years is that they're so worried about appealing to the biggest possible audience to make the biggest possible uh, you know payday at the box office that they don't take nearly as many risks or chances with films uh, especially those buddy cop films because now everything has to be PG-13 rated you can't have anything R-rated because you cut out a big huge chunk of your audience because you know you don't want to offend anybody and, and, and the R-rated movies tend not to do as well now obviously we've proven that to be horseshit with you know movies like Deadpool has done huge numbers and we've seen Joker, other R- most yeah. successful comic
0: book movie of yeah, all time So we've
1: seen, we've seen R-rated movies but like I said like what you're talking about the R-rated buddy cop movies of the 80s you're talking about 48 hours, you talk about tango and cash, you talk about you know, uh, lethal weapon, you know, and, and movies that, that really pushed you on. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop is a great example. You mentioned Beverly Hills Cop, Eddie Murphy, Axel Foley. I definitely, there was definitely a vibe of that at the beginning of this movie, not quite as jokey, but like definitely, yeah, that, he's a that, different
0: kind of character, but yeah, it was that
1: that yeah. vibe. And you know what, that's great because that obviously, i listen, I, I actually just watched Beverly Hills Cop, uh, fairly recently. And it holds up so well. And it's such a brilliant movie. And it's so hilarious. And it's so... You know, and and it's vulgar at points, but it's it's never over the top. But you, I don't know that you could make Beverly Hills Cop in twenty twenty one. I really don't. And if you did, it would be PG thirteen, and Axel Foley could never say the things he said back. You know what I mean? Like it just wouldn't be the same. So, so in that regard, I think I think Spiral does a good job at the beginning, but then once it gets deeper, what I was hoping for, and again, this is like you said, this is my fault. Much like you're saying. I expected to go a little bit more into like the realm of like a seven, where there's a real, there's a mystery, and obviously there's a mystery involved in this in this movie, and I think there's a, a certain mystery involved in all the Saw movies. Uh, and a lot of the Saul movies, you know, go back into police investigations because there is no supernatural element to Saul. It is all real world, human, whatever. And so everything really revolves around a police investigation, that kind of thing, uh, which, again, I understand. But I kind of I thought it would go I thought it would go a little darker, a little deeper and a little bit more into the into the mythology of what led the killer or whoever it is becoming Jigsaw or, or recreating the Jigsaw murders. There would be a deeper story there. And it never really evolved into that and and it felt a little too simplistic and a little too like easy to figure out uh, and a little too easy to understand what's happening. And again, that's my fault. And when you watch a movie like Seven, which is a brilliantly plotted movie with, with a lot of twists and turns and and, and great different, you know, they, they, there's a lot of directions they point you in and you never quite, you know, Seven was the original Saw. You know what I mean? Like That was the original Saw movie. I mean, I, I don't know if they got inspired by Seven, but I'd have to imagine in some subconscious way they did because that was, you know, kind of like John Doe in that movie was kind of like the original Jigsaw. Uh, but I, I kind of wanted it to go in a little bit more of that mystery element and and, and and figure out how it tied back to Jigsaw. Like, I thought there would be some tie to Jigsaw, some tie to John Kramer, the original. K- I don't know. Again, these are all things I thought maybe we'd see. And and I'm not spoiling anything by saying, like, what actually happens, there are obviously ties to Jigsaw. Or it wouldn't have been called The Book of Saul. But it just didn't deliver in the way i thought it would in terms of the mystery in terms of the investigation things kind of came
0: together and unravelled in and in, in my opinion too easy of a way it, it is served up to you too easy that's kind of the issue is that is that you know the first saw which we we you know lauded as as one of the one of the better films of the 2000s uh, horror or not um surprised you like like completely surprised you shocked you sometimes actually Um, and, uh, this movie, again, like you're saying, just kind of, it goes through the motions and gets to the end that you're expecting to get to. And that's, I, I want to be kind and just say that's, yeah, it's kind of bad news is the best way I can put it. Because if I know where we're going and we get there. I, I I didn't get surprised, and and I can't. It, we've talked about this on the show. It's very hard to scare me and Damon these days, so I don't think we're gonna get scared too much. I'm looking forward to the traps. We'll talk about those later. I want those to really get under my skin but also so ultimately you need to surprise me that's kind of the most important part of a good horror film surprise me somehow and they didn't surprise me and it uh, going back to kind of what i thought reinventing this with chris rock was going to be it seemed to start to go into almost a social commentary on on good cops and bad cops i thought that's where this movie was going and like then it, and then when the when the switch flips i mean you're just in a saw movie and it's just about the traps and it's just about getting to the traps on time. And then you were saying this before the podcast, once, once the, once the bodies start piling up, I mean, it, the snowball effect is rapid and then you're not even you're, like the story is now being spun so quickly that, uh, you know, you're not, you're not necessarily enjoying it too much.
1: Yeah, it just felt like a, a bit rushed. You know what I mean? A bit rushed in terms of how they got from point A to point, or from I was actually saying from point B to point C. From point A to point B, they did a good job. You know, the yeah. beginning of the movie they set it up really well, but then the payoff just didn't really work for me. And 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 again. Um, There were elements I enjoyed. There are definitely elements I enjoyed. And as I mentioned, the performances really do raise the bar. When you're talking about, you know, Chris Rock, Samuel L. Jackson, Marisol Nichols, the other people who are in this movie, Max Mignola, doing a really good job. So that, again, immediately raises the bar of a movie like this. But it just, there was not enough, like, let me take you back to Saw 1 when we talk about the original saw and 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 we're kind of in this stuck in this mystery this entire movie of like why these guys are here how they're connected why they're in this room and why you know why they're being trapped and asked to more or less you know cut off their own legs to to get free and um you know you spend the, almost the entire movie trying to figure this out who is doing it to them you know what i mean there's a, just a, a real mystery to it and you don't know and then to see, you know, Jigsaw at the end of that movie rise up, the dead guy in the middle of the room who was there this entire time you know, rise up from the ground, it is, you're just like, what in the fuck? Did I, what, what did I just see yeah. happen? And you're really shocked. Now, Saw Two, I've mentioned one of the reasons I like that movie so much is because there's a twist at the end of that movie too. It it really pays off. The detective is trying to find his son. Uh, you know, there's a you know there's a mystery of like you know, who who's there. And you're seeing like his son go through all this stuff, and you think you're watching the cop investigate trying to find his son. By the end of the movie, you find out. Spoilers. This movie's like 20 some odd years old, so I'm not really <laughs> spoiling anything. But you find out that we are in two different timelines. The son had already gone through the jigsaw house and he was actually in this you know trapped in this box that his father had been sitting next to the entire freaking movie so you kind of again subvert your expectations you don't know that you're in two separate timelines it's brilliant you think the entire time we're searching for his son in this in the jigsaw house when in reality he's already gone through all this he's already gone to the jigsaw house this is two different times it was so well done and really got me by surprise i was like oh geez like i did not see that coming uh uh, that's when i really enjoyed saw when i could literally walk out of the theater and say i did not see that coming uh, oh my was, god
0: smacking you over the face with with like a twist and you're just like that always that always works and yeah. believe me it's uh, it can be overdone and it has been overdone but when it's done well everybody's talking about it everybody's then, talking about it and you get to spiral
1: and and it wasn't that it, it was it was exactly what i thought it would be once it got yeah. going nothing really surprised me and listen, let me be honest about this. When you get to a certain, when you're in a certain horror franchise, there's only so many ways to reinvent the wheel. And there's only so many different directions you go before you just start retreading old ground. Now, listen, I know you are the biggest Friday the 13th fan in the world. And I, I enjoy Friday. I'm not the biggest Friday the 13th guy, but I enjoy those movies. But at some point when you get to like Jason, you know, nine. You know the reason why they're going to space and shit like that is because they run out of ideas. Like there's only so many camp counselors they can murder, uh, and, and there's only so many different ways that you know what I mean. Like you there's you, it's hard to reinvent that franchise at that point unless you literally restart the entire thing, which they tried to do miserably. Uh, you know, and so and same thing with Nightmare on Elm Street. They tried to do it Nightmare on Elm Street, didn't work either there. Uh, but like I said, I love I love that we can get great sequels in horror, but at some point, you know, you run out of you run out of story and. I think that's kind of what happened here with spiral. There's only so many different directions you could go with this kind of a movie and still make it a saw movie. And again, just nothing really got me. Nothing really surprised me. Nothing really like you shocked me. There was no twist that I didn't see coming. Um, There's great performances. As I mentioned, I keep going back to great. And, and, and the, the story itself is not bad. It's not a bad story. It just doesn't go where I, I understand they're not making the movie for me. So when I say it didn't go where I wanted it to go, I understand they're not servicing me personally, but trust me when I say as an audience member, when you go see it, when it's over, if you're, if you're critical and and kind of a story mind, like myself, you're going to say, yeah, I, I saw it coming and didn't really deliver
0: in the way I wanted it to. And that's kind of my biggest problem with this movie. If I could, um, I wouldn't even call this a rewrite of the living dead. This would be like a redirect of the living dead. And Darren Lynn Bozeman's going to spit in my face one day. I'm sure. Um, I think that they should have leaned into the cinematic styles of an eighties cop movie. Uh, and that, that goes for the entire cinematic language of the film. Um, those movies were kind of scary. Those movies were shot on the streets of Los Angeles at night. Um, you didn't know what was around the corner. The world around you felt dangerous. Um, you know, and this is a decent budget movie. It's about forty million dollar budget movie. You know, give me some nightclub scenes. Give me give me some scenes in the seedier parts, the underbellies down the uh, the underbellies of uh, of, of like, a place like Los Angeles. They try to do it, but they do it very minimalistically. And um, I, I think you if you would have leaned a little bit more into that and into the style of an 80s cop thriller, those movies actually on their own were without ever having a horror element were kind of scary. I remember watching them as a kid, they're incredibly intense. and uh and and I was like, man, you know, they had it, they kind of they kind of started out with this vibe, and they sort of lost it after a while. Like like it, it just it, 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 the movie got smaller, the ideas got simpler. And the questions got easier to answer as you went along, and it was like, well, so it's it's this and this and that. I go, uh, okay, it, you know, th- they're clearly going to pull the rug out from under you, right? There's no way it's just going to fall into place this easily, and then it does, and you're just like, oh no. And um, you know, I, I, maybe even, and I know the flashbacks in this movie to me kind of felt like a nod to the original flashbacks. It's good that I'd watched Saw so close to this, because they did feel like flashbacks from Saw. I don't know that they served the story as well, and I do think that they almost gave too much away. There was almost so much so much mystery revealed in those flashbacks that they kind of ruined the story a little bit, and also, Damon, if we're completely honest, the flashbacks are kind of the weakest link in the whole movie, even like direction in cinematography wise and like hair and makeup wise. Like they looked really rough. Like there there's times where it's like it's Samuel L. Jackson and and, and a young Chris Rock. And they have, like, these really bad fake mustaches. Like, <laughs> was, really
1: bad. Well, it's like when, you know, they obviously we have the de-aging technology now, and if you've seen, like, Captain America Civil War and you see when they de-aged Robert Downey Jr., you're like, holy crap. Like, it literally looked like Robert Downey Jr. from Less Than Zero. You're like, yeah. what in the world? Like, this is creepy. Like, he literally looks like that. And and they did it with Samuel Jackson and Captain Marvel, too. They didn't take him too far back, but they took him far enough back to where you're like, okay, this is Jules Winfield. Like, this is yeah, younger and not listen let me be honest Samuel L. Jackson looks pretty much the same now as he did 30 years ago the guy never that's ages ageless. Uh, but like I said they did you know d- so it does exist the de-aging technology does exist and it was so funny to me that like in some of the flashback scenes, that the, the de-aging quote-unquote was putting a, a goat like putting a full beard or a goatee on Chris Rock and a mustache on Samuel L. Jackson and that's it like the facial hair was the only difference and we're talking about the flashbacks are, like 10 years ago so it's like I <laughs> I understand that like yeah they're gonna look a little different but good lord could you could you try a little bit harder to make him like look different? or at that point just i mean honestly if you're chris rock just shave him just just have him completely shaved and then maybe he looks a little younger but good lord like just you know
0: slapping on some bad facial hair does not make someone look younger put a baseball cap on him and smooth out his face with a little bit of beauty work, which is very common and done where they, where they smooth out all the deep lines in an older person's face. And, you know, listen, they could, they could like turn the de-aging thing on to like two instead of 10 and just, it would have worked. I mean, they, Chris Rock and Sam Samuel L. Jackson tend to have, kind of keep their looks over the years. They're not, they, they haven't jumped that much in, in looks over the years. They, they tend to look pretty young, but like those scenes were just very unrefined for what was a, high budget movie, uh, in in the, at least in the, in horror respect, a pretty decently sized budget movie, uh, $40 million is nothing to sneeze at. And those scenes look like they were like cut scenes in Saturday night live. Like they really played very cheaply. And I was like, wow, like, why keep these, why keep these in the movie? They give away a lot and they're, and they don't, and they're not like, they're not up to par with the rest of the movie in terms of the the cinematic style yeah and that kind of takes you out of the story a little bit and then and then and then the
1: the actual story itself and again we're going to get into spoiler territory here in just a minute but uh the story itself just it just doesn't pay off and and listen the subject matter is great the subject matter tackling like you know crooked cops and and a cop you know this isn't spoiling anything but you know Chris Rock's character is a guy who turned in another cop and listen sadly uh, that's a very real story for today's society. And I'm not trying to turn this podcast into anything that it's not, but we all know the stories that are in the headlines about, you know, cops and everything in the in the country and we've had this argument for a long time, but, you know, cops willing to, you know, turn on bad cops, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and there's like this unspoken, you know, silence in, in, in the ranks of police officers. That you don't turn in your fellow police officers. And so Chris Rock does that and, and they kind of turn on him. You know, they kind of brand him a rat. And then that's kind of where we open this movie with Chris Rock being a good cop in a bad position. And they play on that a lot and it works early. It does work early. But then... It just it kind of goes away in a way like they don't they don't really they don't really dig into it and then the actual plot or the quote-unquote twist that sets up the 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 ending it just it was just really like ham-fisted like it just really like felt like oh we're just literally gonna tell you exactly what happened and it's really not that intriguing, to be honest. Like, it's really, it's really not that, it's really not that. I mean, it's not, listen, what happens, I, I'm not, when I said I'm not trying to belittle what happens and saying, like, what happens isn't, you know, tragic or sad or important. I'm saying that the way it played out was just so inconsequential to the rest of the movie um, that when it happened, I was like, oh, really? Like, that's, that's the direction you're going? Um, so, yeah, like I said. There are elements of this movie to enjoy. First half hour, great. Uh, you know, the initial investigation into the reappearance of the, of the Jigsaw-type murders, great. Performances, great. Uh, it's the payoff. It's the payoff that doesn't work for me. It's the payoff, once you get past that first 30, 40 minutes, it turns into just another Saw movie, and the payoff just doesn't work. The ending, just, when it was over, literally when the credits started,
0: I was just like, really? All right. <laughs> All right, all right. You. Yeah. <laughs> okay. D- Damon, I'm going to dare do this again. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to rewrite without a net here. I'm going to rewrite a Living Dead because I think the the cop, the corrupt cop issue is so strong and it actually seems to start out the movie so strong. Wouldn't it be kind of interesting if if instead they had wrote it where um, uh, Chris Rock's character, who is uh, Detective Banks, I believe. Uh, Zeke ba- Banks? Yeah, Zeke, Zeke Banks. Banks. Yeah, yeah. So de- if Detective Banks is obviously where he's at in his in, in within his department, kind of the pariah of his department because of what he's done. If like a a new corrupt cop is sort of climbing the ranks or is, or is gaining power, and uh, and he kind of he's going to repeat his past with this cop. But the Jigsaw thing comes up again and there's this dueling thing where it's like him and Jigsaw are descending on the same situation and he has to stop Jigsaw and this super corrupt cop at the same time. Like, again, it's, it's a very di- – that would be a very different movie than what they pitched here. But it's sort of like you know he's in, he's in two worlds where he's got he's to gotta save bad cops from the Jigsaw killer and he's got to save society from bad cops at the same time, make it a more serious, make it a more grounded film in that respect – Keep the horror, keep the traps and all that stuff. Spread the world out. Get out into the world a little bit more. Make this world a little bit bigger, if you can. Uh, yeah. What do you think about some rewrite in that vein? Yeah, and I'll tell you what. And we're we're gonna
1: have to get into spoiler territory because yeah, I do want I do want to get into into rewrite my rewrite of the Living Dead here. So with that being said, let me let me just hit pause here right quick and just say we are getting into spoilers now, folks. Uh, For the next half of the show, we're going to do our categories, our favorite scares, our favorite performances. So from here on out, we are in spoiler territory. So I will warn you, if you haven't seen Spiral from the Book of Saw, Pause the show, go watch it, and I would tell you to absolutely go watch it. Enjoy the theater more than anything. Uh, Come back and listen to the second half of the show, or if you've already seen the movie, obviously you're going to listen to us talk about it from here on out. Or if you just don't care about spoilers and you just want to know what happens, or or you don't care what happens and, and maybe you'll go see it anyways, then again, be forewarned from here on out, from this moment on, we are in spoiler territory. So, here is my rewrite of the Living Dead*. With that being said, what I actually thought was going to happen this entire movie, and they kind of did it, but it was really just badly done. Uh, what should have happened was or what I thought was surely going to happen was when the entire movie started with Chris Rock's character Zeke being teased as, as this guy who, who's a who is a rat. He, he ratted on his fellow officers. I thought 100% without without, a, without any hesitation, that the dirty cop was his dad, the dirty yeah. cop was Samuel L. Jackson. It up, and they said, and, and, and that, that kind of happens at the end. That's kind of you know, where they, where they reveal that Samuel L. Jackson was like the head honcho in charge of all the dirty cops, but it was just like, really? Like, that's how you're going to do it. Like, why isn't it that he literally ruined his own dad's career to become like to prove he's a like to prove he's a bad cop like that would have been so much more interesting to me, uh, just to have that element of like them clashing because like you know they're still father and son but the the son took out
0: the father from his position and and I
1: thought that's how they were setting it up and it never happened.
0: Yeah, no, I, it would have been cool. It would have been really cool. And uh, yeah, they were going down that road, right? They tried to build this case with you. Uh, uh, Detective Banks can't get his dad on the phone, he goes to his uh, house and he sees that uh, there are all these little contraptions and stuff, which, does that ever really even pay off why he has no, those contraptions? No, no, not at all. Yeah, it, it doesn't, this is weird it's almost like a like a very pointless misdirect, like it's meant to misdirect you, but it doesn't tie into anything it doesn't make any sense, I think I, I mean, again, I'm fresh off this movie, I didn't get to see it twice, I saw it just, just a day removed from when we recorded this um, so I, if I missed a detail, you know that's on me. But you know they try to build that case for a minute, and then they're trying to build the case for other people in close to him, uh, like the like the cop that uh, he actually turned in. They're like maybe it's that guy. Um, so they they try to build those cases, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, it just the payoff for each of those was rather unsatisfying, rather kind of. Well, there it is. And you're, and really? Yeah. Yeah. We're moving on from that now. Yeah. Well,
1: and the, the, the the big reveal, you know, and again, we're in spoiler territory. The big reveal of who the jigsaw, the new jigsaw killer is was so like poorly handled because (laughs) the entire flashbacks kept going back to the cop that, that, that Chris Rock's character turned in. And and what basically happened is this cop shot a a victim because the victim was going to point out another dirty cop. And so he shot the victim and then, you know, Chris Rock turned him in. And then the victim, the guy who got shot at you know, from this dirty cop, it's his son who grows up to become the jigsaw killer. But there's no, that, like, that's such a, that's such a weak plot point. They never really explore that. You never really understand why this guy's the victim. You never really understand what happened to what led to this. Like if they would have explored that a little bit more and said, this is a, this is what makes him a dirty cop. And, and, you know, he brought down this guy, he killed a guy and, and, And that's what I understand all that, but it was just so poorly put together and they kept hinting at it, hinting at it when they finally got to the to the payoff of like showing what this dirty cop did, which was basically shoot. Uh, shoot a a witness that saw another dirty cop do something. It was just so poorly put together. And then you find out, oh, by the way, this guy just happened to have a son hiding in the back bedroom, watching all this happen. And I'm just like, good Lord. Like, could you just like, you just, you made this like, you literally, you, okay. And this is a writer thing. Okay. You never, you never want to make your plot revolve around that angle. You never want to, you never want to build your plot around that big reveal. You want to have the reveal build around your plot. You want to have like, you want to, if if the sun is the, is the killer and you want to reveal that you got to have that in there somewhere other than the last 10 minutes of the movie where you reveal this nameless victim who we have, we literally see for three minutes in this movie, uh, also had a son, and he just happened to be watching when his father got killed. And yeah. that wasn't that had zero to do with the rest of the movie. The entire point of that whole scene was a dirty cop. This dirty cop shot a guy for witnessing another dirty cop. And he was going to testify against him. And so the dirty cop took him out before he could testify. And it, he was the, the the dad, the one that was supposed to be like the, the, the catalyst to this guy becoming a jigsaw killer. He he was some nameless, faceless dude. Like he was just some <laughs> no. dude. And it was yeah. just, it was
0: just so poorly put together. It's almost to the effect of like, it was all a dream. It's all, it almost feels that cheap. Like it's so tacked on. Yeah. Um, It, it, it doesn't weave into the plot. Like you're saying. Like, that reveal doesn't weave into the plot in a way that makes you go, wow, oh, my God, like, crazy. Like, he actually ends up spending – they have this moment, right, this showdown because uh, uh, Chris Rock kind of figures it out enough to, to figure out where to go. He finds his dad. Well, actually, no, like, Jigs- Jigsaw. You know, leads him to his dad, I believe. and uh, And when he gets there, surprise, it's his it's his partner that that had infiltrated the police force. and then and then his partner, uh, um, uh, William Shank, Detective Shank is the name of the character. Detective Shank does the classic bad guy thing we all make fun of now where he stands there and tells every <laughs> everything that he was planning on doing and did like he stands there and tells Chris Rock everything and like and that's bad news when you have the the bad guy stand there and just explain to you everything that happened you did something wrong like now you're just trying to clean up the mess at the very end and it and it felt that way, and and it and it felt very anticlimactic.
1: Yeah, it was very anticlimactic, especially when that's where you're building towards. Like I said, you're literally you're sticking in there. Like here, here's like here's another film I could compare it to, and I'm gonna. And it, the movie's again over twenty years old, so if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry at this point. Scream two, you have seen Scream two, right? Been a very long time. Okay, I was never so, a big Scream guy. Okay, I love the Scream franchise. The first one was fantastic. The second one, when they revealed the killer. The, the the one killer was a guy they went to college with and he was just a film freak and he wanted to like make his own horror film and, and but that's not the big twist. The big twist is he was kinda of being led by the real killer who was Billy Loomis from the first movie played by Skeet Ulrich, it was his mother coming for revenge for her son. And so that was kind of the bigger twist that she was kind of like the puppeteer behind this kind of troubled student who was, you know, basically her her, you know, he she put she put the idea into his head and he was the one carrying out her orders more or less. Now, if you remove the Billy Loomis mom element, it's just this weird whacked-out film student. That that movie it, it still works in, on every other level. When you get to the end, you're like, Really? Like, that's the twist is that there's just a freaky film student who's obsessed with these kids and he decided yeah. to become a killer? Like, it was just really weak. If you didn't have the extra element of the mother tied back in from the original movie, it would not have worked. It would not have tied together and it really would not have worked. That's kind of what Spiral does. Like, we didn't know that this, we didn't know the victim. We really didn't know the victim. The guy who got shot, who, who was a catalyst of the guy who got shot, we don't know. We don't even know his freaking name, okay? That's how badly this is. We don't know the name. We really don't know what he did. We just know he, quote unquote, witnessed something. Uh, and then he gets shot inexplicably by a really badly deaged partner of Chris Rocks. Uh, that was the worst one. Pete, the guy who plays Pete, he was yeah. really badly deaged. Uh, he shoots the victim and then finally at the last like 10 minutes of the movie we find out that oh by the way the victim who has no name had no other plot had no other point to this story also had a son and the son grew up to become a new jigsaw and it's just so conveniently laid out and when you get to that point you're kind of like huh like it would have been more interesting if Chris rock had ended up being the jigsaw killer or Samuel yeah. Jackson into, you know, like they kind of oh, twisted yeah. it that way. No, nah, no, nah, it was the random kid who you didn't know existed. <laughs> Until the it, end or of the imagine book. if
0: like Samuel L. Jackson had actually, you could tie it way back to the first one and been like, I worked with, you know, Jigsaw, the original Jigsaw. Like, who do you think was there? Who do you think was helping him? How do you think he was getting by the or, cops? Just, It was me. You know, he heard, could have played that game. And I, I read somewhere that one of the
1: original plot lines of this movie was going to be tied back. that Chris Rock's character was going to be tied back to Danny Glover's character from the first Saw. Right. The cop who, you know, got his throat slashed and ended up, you know, kind of going on a vendetta, Against the the doctor, against Carrie Elway's character thing, and he was the murderer uh, when in reality it wasn't him, obviously. But they said originally there was some
0: tie back to that. That would have been cool. Either uh, one of those would have been cool. None uh, of that. It <laughs> yeah. None of that happened. None of that happens, right? Uh, but what what ends up happening, and I think what the what the screenwriters might tell you is is they they go really high concept and go you. Yeah, they'd go, well, it's about fathers and sons, isn't it? and i go yeah yeah it is but it's also like it doesn't pay off like I, I know you want it to pay off but and thematically that's a very big and abstract idea uh but but the the problem is the father and son works really well on for chris rock sam jackson and it does not work well for uh for max mengella's character at all well, like again, it, you don't feel that at all
1: it doesn't really work well with chris rock and and samuel jackson either because you don't really like they don't really talk, they don't really know, but you don't really know why. They don't They're, spend don't, they time don't, time don't, together, Yeah, they, they don't spend hardly any time together, and all you know is, is his dad was this legendary chief of police, and he was kind of the son who became the outcast because... He, he ratted on another cop and then like the one interaction they have later in the movie, the, the dad defends him and he yells at the other cops for not helping his right. son. So what,
0: what was the, what was the conflict? There was, uh, there wasn't, yeah. like, I don't understand. It would have been way cooler if his dad turned his back on him like all those years ago. Yeah. And like, and, and he's trying to get his dad to help him he's like hey man Jigs- jigsaw's killing cops you want to help me or not you know like th- it create bigger conflict there or and as again, i said you yeah. find out that chris rock you know the, the
1: cop he turned in was his dad now he's got to turn to his dad for help because guess what his yeah. dad was around during the original jigsaw he was partners you know he had known danny glover's character tie it back to the first one and now he's got a call on the on his dad and then somehow you tie it back into that i don't know i'm not you know i'm, I'm writing <laughs> off the cuff here but anything you know what I mean and none of that like I under like even when you say father and son and I agree I understand that might be what they're going for even that doesn't work because there really isn't that relationship they barely they spend one
0: scene together until the end of the movie and who but you know I, I guess in defense of the writers we don't know how much the script was cut down from the original idea for all we know they had all of that stuff got really laid out in like a 200 page script and they're like hey guys Get this down to 90 minutes, you know, which happens a lot, by the way. And that, yeah. that's very often not the fault of the writers or directors. The studio goes, uh-uh, this thing has to be way shorter. Like, it just has to be. Why? Why? Because we said so. That's why. Because we need to put it on the screen X amount of times during the day, so I can't have a two-and-a-half-hour movie, so cut an hour out of this movie. And you're like, yeah. really? Yeah, really. Cut an hour out of this movie. And you're like, shit. So you so you piece together what you can. That's my defense of these filmmakers. I it's filmmaking is a very hard thing at the 40 million dollar level it doesn't get any easier. It's not any easier at forty million dollars than it is at sixty-six thousand or two thousand dollars. It's a hard thing to do. So I, I, I won't. I'm not trashing the filmmakers, and that's never my intention to trash filmmakers on this podcast ever. Um, but that stuff like that happens, and you're dealing with a big studio, and you're dealing with um, executives who are trying to make some money uh, off of this thing. So it's a very, it's very possible that many of the scenarios that Damon and I are running were eventually were at some point on the table and eventually cut. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible.
1: All right. (laughs) With that being said, let's get into our categories so we can talk about the rest of this movie here. Uh, The the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak, of uh, Spiral from the Book of Saul. So we're going to kick things off as we do each and every week here on Rewind of the Living Dead, and we're going to talk about best performance. So in this movie, Spiral, by the way, the second Spiral we've actually uh, reviewed on the show. Uh, (laughs) Patrick, who was your favorite performance
0: in Spiral from the Book of Saul? Uh, you know, weirdly, without cheating, because Samuel Jackson is the best performer on the whole on the whole roster, and everybody knows that. So I'm try I tried to dig a little deeper, um, and really go which character to me jumped out at having like some pretty good moments in this film. So I went with Max Minella, who's uh, Officer Shank, who's who's uh, Chris Rock's partner in the movie, because he kind of has to play it one way. He has to try and actually, uh, you know, he's he's trying to deceive Chris Rock's character. And so I thought he did a pretty good job for most of the film. That that the end gets bad, but uh as I said in the past, I, usually worse performances don't have a lot to do with the performance. They have a lot to do with the script in front of the actor. And so I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ding Max Mignela for that last part of the movie that didn't really work for me. But uh overall I thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I thought he did good. He's great in Handmaid's Tale, so um
1: not totally surprised he did a good performance yeah he did a really solid job uh with the material he was given and uh my best performance and listen it's a more obvious answer but i'm giving credit where credit's due because this is not his wheelhouse and i'd say my best performance goes to chris rock uh, he does a really good job of balancing at the beginning of the movie. There's some great comedy. The The whole thing about Forrest Gump
0: cracked me up. There was oh, a good man. Too bad we don't have best line this time around. Cause yeah. he had a bunch
1: of them. He had a good one about Chris, about Forrest Gump and why there was never a sequel. That's the one that got me. He's like, you ever saw Gump too? Uh, <laughs> I cracked up at that. There were some good comedic lines, but when he did have to play it straight and he had to play it serious, he did a really good job. I mean, listen, I you know Chris Rock's an actor, but again, when you get kind of pigeonholed into a certain kind of genre or a certain kind of actor, you just kind of come to expect that. And and obviously, Chris Rock's a comedian; he's a hilarious dude. Uh, but he actually did a really solid job in this movie, pulling out the dramatic parts, the horrific parts, uh, and, and and again, dashing in some of the comedy. So uh, overall, I listen. Uh, I don't know if, if Chris Rock wants to you know try to make more horror films in the future if he wants to you know do what, what some other people as we mentioned have done, uh, but I'd like to see and I'd like actually to see him get more involved in the story side because I yes. did like
0: his performance in this movie. I, I'm I'm really curious what would have been the Chris Rock script, uh, because I think what you could tell that first thirty minutes is actually very heavy on his character, very heavy on the things he says and does. So I could could imagine if he had way more input on the script from that point on uh, what it would have looked like.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed that. All right. Best scare. Obviously, this is a horror movie. There are scares in Spiral from the Book of Saw. So, Patrick, what was your favorite scare
0: from this movie? Jigsaw is really good at catching people in this movie. And you you see almost every one of his catches. Um, I thought the one that really got me was when he caught actually uh, Chris Rock's character uh, Detective, uh, uh, Banks. Uh, it was just, it, the timing was good. Like you kind of weren't, you weren't expecting, uh, uh, Detective Banks to get caught by any means, you know, like that's, that's one thing I would say was a full blown subversion. I'm like, Oh, the lead character is going to get caught. Interesting. Like full blown caught, you know? Uh, so it, when it does happen, this, this like kind of white sheet goes over the face and it happens in a real violent, fast way. I thought it was a decent, decent jump scare.
1: Yeah, I'm cheating with this answer. Uh, I fully admit I'm cheating because your answer is kind of my answer, but in a different way. My best scare were several times in this movie, four or five times in this movie, we see Jigsaw catch his prey, and he does it the same way with each of them, which is he puts this kind of like, almost like a plastic bag over their head. I really don't know what it was, but it looks like, like a white sheet of plastic, like wraps around their face really violently, and that's kind of how he takes them down. Uh, And I don't really know what it is. I call it a plastic bag. It's kind of what it looks like. You know what I mean? Like a white, thick plastic bag. It's like a shrink wrap or something. Yeah, yeah. All of those. So when I say I'm cheating, I'm saying every time that happened, it got me a little bit. Oh, it yeah. was good. Like, in the beginning, the first kill with the first cop, you see the pig face behind him, and then he grabs him with that white sheet and takes him down. With Chris Rock's character, same thing, a couple other cops it happens to. It's a good jump scare, and it's effective each time it happens. And even though you've seen it a couple of times, it still works when, it's, when, when you get to... Detective Zeke Banks being Chris Rock's character in the the movie when he gets caught it still works the the Mm -hmm. same thing happens over and over again and that was my favorite scare because it worked it was effective each and every time Uh, so while I am cheating and not picking one specific moment it's all of those every time Jigsaw catches his prey it worked It, it was a good good jump scare absolutely all right, let's talk about best gore. Uh, obviously, Saw is well known for being a very gory franchise. So what
0: was your best gore in this movie? The, I think the gore in this movie is actually particularly um, jarring because like, it does play more like a cop like a cop thriller. So when you see that like really intense gore on top of it, it's like, whoa, okay. Um, so gore abounds for all the gore whores out there, myself included there. There's, it is a, it is a feast for the eyes. Um, my best gore went to the aftermath of the subway killing. So that's actually the, the cold open is that the very first killing is, is a cop chasing a, um, uh, a purse snatcher down the subway. And it was really, you know, it's, it's, it's jigsaw, uh, our jigsaw copycat, Bringing uh, uh, the cop down into the subways and getting him into this trap, and the trap itself was kind of like, oh man, that's that sucks. But the aftermath is the cop got, you know, obliterated by a subway car. And so when they're looking around at all the pieces, I mean, it is graphic in detail of this mangled, uh, really just heaps of meaty pieces of a of a, what used to be a human being. And I thought that gore was particularly uh, effective. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, my
1: best gore in this movie came a little later. Uh, when, when we actually, cause again, we do have several jigsaw traps, obviously. And, uh, in the moment, captain Angie Garza played by Marisol Nichols, who is the captain. She's the the chief in front of, uh, Zeke Banks and all the other cops in this particular precinct. She gets trapped by jigsaw, the new jigsaw. And she gets, uh, this hot black wax dumped on her face. And she's got like a parchment paper. Over her face, and it kind of melts onto her face. And by the time Zeke finds her, she's already dead from the the wax melting. And when he starts peeling away at the mat, (laughs) peeling away at the wax, it literally peels her skin off. And it's pretty grotesque because they really do get in there close. Like you see, like the steam, Mm -hmm. the steam is still coming off the wax, and they're peeling back her skin. And it's pretty horrific when you see that because you're kind of like, oh man, like you know, that doesn't feel good. Uh, so yeah, that was was my best gore because they really did some close-ups in there. You could literally see her skin getting peeled off her face.
0: Yeah, what, uh, the, the, the effects team did a phenomenal job. They made good use of their portion of that $40 million. Like The gore in this movie is top shelf.
1: Absolutely. Uh Alright, now it is a Saw movie, and of course we do talk about, and one thing we said is if you're a Saw fan, you're gonna enjoy this because it feels very much like a Saw movie. Uh, with that being said, what was the best the best Jigsaw trap? Because there were a lot of Jigsaw traps, as per
0: usual in a Jigsaw movie. So, what was your favorite Jigsaw trap? Well, uh, you know, I ba- I base my favorite Jigsaw trap always on like the one that I truly truly do not want to get trapped in now obviously the subway one is kind of horrific but when you think about it you're getting hit by a train that's going like 70 miles an hour you're probably going to die pretty fast um so i didn't pick that one despite the aftermath of it being so awful um the wax trap the aforementioned wax trap that we were just talking about with the with the detective uh getting the hot wax poured over her face i go man if i was in that situation it would be absolutely horrific and it, and it plays horrifically. It's one of the better kind of like directed overall scenes in the film, her being in that wax trap is, it looks so desperately awful Uh, and they don't cut away. You know, there's not a lot of implied in that it's like head on, you see it happening and it just looks horrendous. Uh, To that point,
1: let me give you a little hint here. Did you notice a little, uh, the little, uh, the little uh, Easter egg in that scene when she gets locked in the, uh, in the cold case room, did you notice the Easter
0: egg in there, paying homage to Samuel Jackson? Mm, oh, was it the name? It was the names, right?
1: Yeah, the names of the name on the safe, the the actual door of the safe was the Vincent Jules Company. Yes, that's and right. and it was yeah, a yeah. nice Pulp Fiction homage there for Samuel Jackson. I thought that was really cool. Uh, the Vincent Jules Company. I thought that was fun. Um, well, you know, sometimes we do double up on here. The best jigsaw trap, yes, it was the wax trap. That was the wax trap. It was so. Let's just talk about that wax trap because oh, there's more to talk about. It was pretty gross because, like the the the, the like, so basically, okay. The the escapes in these in all of the different uh, in all the different traps were far more uh, horrific than they had been in past movies because. Every one, you were basically sacrificing a limb or something else to get out of the trap. Uh, one guy had to literally get his fingers ripped off in order to avoid being electrocuted. Uh, the first guy had to literally rip his tongue out, uh, had to avoid that to be able to not get hit by the subway. And then in this particular case, they were asking the captain to more or less basically saw her own spinal cord in half from her neck from a blade underneath her. And I don't even know if that oh, would yeah. freaking work. Uh, but that would somehow stop the wax from coming out, which the, when the wax did come out, it, suffocates her and literally burns her face off as we've already talked about. Uh, that's pretty horrific. They were all pretty horrific because unlike like the first one, when that Amanda girl, Shawnee Smith, who comes back and, and actually kind of becomes, jigsaw's apprentice in the later movies uh hers is she gets the she gets the the the, the reverse bear trap off her face and, and 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 by you know she ends up having to kill a guy who's not quite dead to get the, the key off but ultimately she's okay you know what i mean she, she's traumatized but she's okay in these cases they're like oh yeah cut your you know cut your tongue out uh you know cut your you know sever your spine uh they're not they're not
0: they're not playing nice at all no, and you know what, I noticed the pattern with the jigsaw traps in this were pretty much that it was always gonna be too late. It was it like, it, it was almost timed. I think I think it seems like uh, our, our copycat jigsaw's intention was always to kill these people, to just torture them on top of killing them. So the whole point was like, I'm gonna wake you up at just the right time so you have not enough time to to get out, but just enough time to rip your own tongue out, to sever your own neck. To to rip your own fingers off, you know, in, in terrible agony, but you're going to be too late every single time because I think his intention was to kill all those cops no matter what. He wasn't letting any of them go.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Although I will say, we did our best jigsaw trap. The worst had to be Samuel Jackson at the end because what what was that? <laughs> I don't I don't I still I, don't I, really I, understand. I know,
0: I go, man, the Samuel Sam the Samuel Jackson one was supposed to be so okay. So folks, in this movie, there's no jigsaw puppet there's a new puppet like a pig puppet and it's supposed to be a play on cops and so in the in the in the samuel L. jackson's trap he's being drained of his blood and and uh uh chris rock has to sacrifice his final bullet to set him free but what it really does is it it, it sets a timer again the jigsaw the jigsaw killer is intending on killing every one of these cops that he's trapped no matter what so you think he's gotten free and like the trap, actually, once once the the cops open the door, they trigger another part of the trap that makes it look like he or a gun comes up and points at the other cops. So it's going to be suicide by cop. Uh, and I was like, I put my in my notes like that that was the weakest trap here. Yeah, it just it didn't it didn't play like I think they wanted it to play. And I think that there was like you know, he he he's he's kind of on these strings like a puppet. So it's supposed to kind of tie back to that puppet. And I was like, eh. Yeah. Uh,
1: Okay. So my biggest problem is the bloodletting. I didn't really understand what the point of that was. Like I understand they're saying, if you lose so much blood, you die. I get that. Why not have it just be what they did with the, the finger guy where the fingers being ripped out? Why not have him being pulled by strings and eventually, if you don't save him, he literally just gets ripped apart. Like, why wouldn't that? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that would be yeah, you know, that would be pretty horrific. Just you know, they're tied together, and you literally rip him apart limb from limb. That would be pretty bad. The bloodletting thing just didn't make a lot of sense to me. I understand they were trying to do it for the whole effect
0: of the wires and the puppet and that kind of thing, but it just didn't really work for me. So Josh Josh Stolberg is one of the writers on this, and he's actually been um, in some clubhouse rooms that I've been in. So I listened to him talk about um, previous uh, Saw films. And he he has he I think he's only written Jigsaw out of all of them, but he but he has a history with the uh, with the franchise overall. He said that, and this was this kind of surprised me. He goes, the traps are the very last thing that they write about. They write they write the story first the whole time. And, uh, and that the traps are the last thing they think of. And I was like, man, this, this whole movie seems to be built around traps. Yeah. Maybe they tried it. Maybe they kind of switched it up this, this time around, but all the movies to me seem to be built around the traps. But according to him, they, it's the other way around. Like they focus on the story and the last thing they're allowed to do is start talking about traps.
1: Yeah. It's like I said, and the problem is, and, and again, this goes into when you're, you know, nine, nine films into a franchise, and, and one of the biggest, you know, the biggest uh, parts of the movie are the traps. You know, you're uh. looking to one-up them. By the ninth movie, man, you're starting to run low on ideas. Like, I understand, like, you can get some pretty sick... Twisted motherfuckers out there who can, who can, uh, who can come up with some pretty twisted ways to kill a person. But uh, but eventually you start running out of different ways to torture people, and I think that's kind of where we're running into it a little bit in this movie. Is you're starting to run into a bit of the like we've kind of done everything we can do. Uh, how can we you know how can we recycle these? And I you know that's why I said they're not bad. The wax trap is definitely horrific. That's the favorite of both of ours. Uh, But it just feels like at some point you kind of like run out of ideas and by nine films in, I can understand.
0: Ooh, damn. I was just, I just started rewriting this film yet again. What if all the traps in the jigsaw movie that I rewrote, which was the jigsaw that, you know, a little bit more gritty and actually like street level jigsawing. uh, What if like he had set up so that way it pitted a, a, a civilian against a cop in a trap every single time? So it was something where it was, you know, it it, it it played on like society versus police type thing. And uh and and you have that's the civilian and the cop in the trap. Still same idea of that no matter what, the cops not gonna make it through this, but the civilian's also at risk too, and it ups the ante for uh for detective uh, uh banks. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. That would be nice. Yeah, like I said, yeah. It just Yeah, it, I don't know. You could fuck
0: with it in a lot of different ways. You could go a lot of ways with that.
1: You could. Could the could the would the good cop sacrifice himself to save a person? That's kinda like that could be like yeah. the theme, you know, like Cause that's the entire theme of this movie is dirty cops. You know, will the dirty cop sacrifice himself or herself to save the person, or will they sacrifice, you know, will they, will they sacrifice the innocent person to save themselves? And I think mm-hmm. whatever what you'll find out by the end of the movie is they'll always, the, even when they try to save the person, they still die. You know, what I mean, like even even when you get that one person who's willing to sacrifice themselves to save the innocent person, they save the inner, innocent person, but they still die because ultimately they're gonna die no
0: matter what. Yeah, exactly. We, we, can you and I end up writing a a remake of Spiral? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. <laughs> All right. Last but very
1: not least here on this show, as we do each and every week here on Rewind of the Living Dead, we're going to answer the most important question about the movie we're reviewing, and that is, is it scary? So, Patrick, at the end of the day,
0: Spiral from the Book of Saw. Is it scary? Uh, I i put i put and I even think, even as a um, as a general audience, and I got to sit with a general audience. It's been a long time. There was not that general audience horror reaction. A couple of jump scares might have got people a little bit, but I think I think you can you can have a jump scare in a non scary movie. This very much felt like a thriller, a gory thriller at that. But it didn't have like to me the vibe of a scary film. Um, I, I don't think. I just think it's like horribly violent. I think is what this film is, and and that you know, listen, if you're very squeamish, yeah, that'll that'll screw with you. So in that respect, yes, it could be a very scary movie. But as it's presented, to me, it doesn't seem to be presented as a scary movie at all.
1: Yeah, if you're if you're a, a Saw movie fan and you want to continue to be a Saw movie fan, you're probably going to enjoy this and it's probably going to jolt you a couple times and it's probably going to scare you in the right parts. And again, as I always say, if you're really turned off by gore or you're really you know, terrified of gore, blood, things like that, then yeah. And that level it is scary, because like I said, that wax trap is pretty horrific. The fingers getting ripped off is pretty horrific. If those kind of things are what you would consider scary, then yeah, absolutely. There's going to be some pretty disturbing parts of this movie. Uh, In the more traditional sense of like really being terrified, hiding your eyes, you know, kind of like, oh man, I can't watch this. Uh, What's going to happen next? That kind of thing. No, it doesn't really deliver in that level. But again, I would argue that most of the Saw movies aren't really that way. Saw movies are t- are typically more about the mystery of like how and why these people are getting in those traps, and then the traps themselves are very horrific. and 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 by that regard, being a Saw fan, you're probably going to like that because there are some pretty horrific traps in this movie and and, yeah. and pretty horrific uh, you know results. So if that's what you're considering scary, hundred percent pays off, works well. As I said. My disappointment with this movie is it really just ended up being another Saw movie. And, and as I said, if you are a Saw fan and you loved all the other eight movies, you're probably going to really enjoy this one. Um, but for me personally, was not scary? Not really. You know, there's some scary stuff, but wasn't really scary. It was a more of a cop drama with horrific elements kind of peppered in there. Um, and like I said, I feel like weirdly enough, they didn't go hard enough on the cop stuff. Uh, to kind of pay off in the horrific stuff. So,
0: uh, you know, that's that's just me. You no, know, that it's me. It's me too. I think I think the theme of dirty cops was there, but but the potential of it was not untapped. It it, it they there was still something that could have been pushed a little farther there that, that ended up not getting pushed again. I don't know if that's the filmmakers or the studio. I don't, I don't, I never saw the original uh, draft that got greenlit to, to get produced. So I don't know, but yeah, it, I think Damon hits it on the head. If you're a Saw fan, you just got to saw a movie. I guarantee you that. Yeah, exactly.
1: All right. Uh, Folks want to say a big thank you to each and every one of you that tunes into rewind to the living dead make sure you're following us On all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. And if you're looking for the podcast in general, you can find us over on my website, NerdCoreMovement.com. Make sure you hit us up if you have any questions, comments, uh, anything about the show, movies you want us to review. Please hit us up on Twitter. You can follow me at Damon Martin,
0: and you are... At director Patrick.
1: And please hit us up anytime with that. We are going to be going on a string of new horror movies over the next few weeks. Uh, Obviously this week we are doing right away with spiral from the book of Saul. Next week, we're going to be previewing and reviewing uh, Zach Snyder's new movie army of the dead. Then we're going to roll right into a quiet place Two, And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about the conjuring the devil made me do it. So Four weeks in a row, all brand new movies, all brand new reviews, back to back to back to back here on Rewind of the Living Dead. So make sure you're tuning in because we are we are kind of we are going through a bit of a renaissance with the old school uh, horror releases right now. We're gonna get a lot of them over the next month.
0: Oh, I can't wait, man. It's so much fun to be back in theaters, folks. Join us back in theaters. Let's save that theater experience. It's just too much fun. Absolutely. Uh, big thank you to everyone that
1: tuned in each and every week here on Rewind the Living Dead. Uh, as always, we appreciate that. And we will, uh, I'll close out with a little bit of the music from the Saw movie. Uh, so I want to say a big thank you to everyone. Uh, for for Patrick, I'm Damon. We will see you guys next week for another edition of Rewind the Living Dead. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then.
0: Peace for the bread oh God. my hood known for wildin', and i don't promote the violence i done been through all the tribes and tribulations now i'm smiling Hold on, say he wanted smoke we at the table doing the plot and we going slide with your shit up making home for you a siren i'ma let him spin like a spiral up. i don't got no love for no rival up. put him on the news he went viral Pussy. i took a number two with my rifle Pussy. every car i mean i got a title